church. Great to see everyone here today. Uh, what a great weekend we just had with our Dream Team party on Friday. How many people hit the Dream Team party on Friday? My, my, my. And some of you had FOMO on social media. That's okay. You're here this morning. It's going to be amazing. As Pastor Troy mentioned, uh, we are in a series on the book of Philippians. We'll go there in just a moment. Before we do, just want to take a couple of minutes and talk about really where we're heading as a church in this next season. Because as we plan the year here at Resonate, we plan the year in seasons, thoughtfully thinking about uh, what is the season that we're in and what's coming next. And upcoming really soon is going to be Easter. It's just around the corner in April. This year it's April 21st. And that's going to be an exciting growth season in the life of our church. I'm just, I'm excited about it. I, I already know that so many of you are going to see people that you know and love and that you've been praying for come to church, actually experience God and make a decision to either engage in faith or re-engage in their faith. And so that's going to be an exciting growth season in the life of our church. And so what we always want to do is as we're leading into a growth season where there's going to be people coming to new faith in Jesus is that we want to take the season before that and we ourselves want to be growing deeper in our faith with Jesus so that when people come in, they can actually see a life being lived that they would want to imitate and follow after and a culture and a house where we are just all in and loving God and deep in our relationship and our faith with God. And so one of the atmospheres that we want to create for that depth to happen in our relationship with God is, is actually a worship night. And so in two weeks, yeah, come on, somebody. Uh, in two weeks on the Sunday night, Sunday, uh, March 17th, we're going to have a worship night right here at the theater. It's going to be one potent hour to just press in in an atmosphere of worship and in prayer together. It's a deeper place. You know what? It's so important that you have a, a time and a space for all of us where so, Sunday mornings we serve hard and we love hard and we invite a lot. That's Sunday mornings. I think we need a worship night where you don't have to worry about inviting anybody. You don't have to worry about serving anybody. You can just show up and in the presence of God grow in God and receive from him in his presence as we worship him in this place. So go ahead, get that in your calendar. It's going to be amazing. I'm excited about that. There's a great tie into the book of Philippians, actually, because the reason Paul wrote this letter was to mature this church. Oftentimes, as Paul writes, he's writing letters to deal with controversies or issue or to lay out some theology. And yet this book is a book written to mature a church. This church now 10 or so years old that Paul had started, and he's writing because he's wanting to see them grow in their faith and grow spiritually mature. And when we think of spiritual maturity, I don't know about you, but I can often picture a library-type setting where people are sitting and they're quietly studying and learning. And there's, of course, nothing wrong with studying. There's value, great value in that. But what's interesting about this letter is Paul here, as he's talking about spiritual maturity in this letter to the Philippians, the thing he's wanting to see them mature in is joy. And it's no different today. He's going to talk about joy again. And we've said every week that the irony of Paul talking about joy in this letter 16 times over the course of four short chapters is that he's sitting chained to another human being in a Roman prison. And it's out of that context that he's writing to us and saying, come on, church, let's grow up a little bit. Let's grow in joy. And this is what he starts in in verse number one of chapter three today. We're just going one chapter a week. And this is Chapter number three, and this is how he starts chapter three. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again. To write the same things to you. So I'm just going to keep saying it over and over and over again. Listen, it's no trouble to me, and actually this is safe for you. You see, Paul understands that at this point, you're probably thinking, rejoice in the Lord. I get it, Paul. 
I'm there. I get it. It's cool. Celebrate God. Get happy in his presence. Enjoy God. Revel in him. I get it. And Paul's like, no, you don't. No, you've not yet even begun to imagine the level of celebration that God has for you in his presence. No, you haven't yet thought of it, church. So I'm going to say it again and again. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. This last week was our five-year-old, our oldest daughter's birthday. She turned five and excuse me while I just dad cry for a minute because that's really big for me to have a five-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Rachel is um, amazing at celebration. She wants to make sure that, that moments of uh, celebration in our family get handled really well. If you ever have good news, the person to tell is Rachel, because she will legitimately and honestly freak out and be very excited. And with Rachel, trust me, that's real. That's who she is. <coughs> and so she wanted Avia's party to be amazing. And so she, she asked Avia a couple days before the party, she said, Avia, what would you like to have to start your birthday for breakfast? Avi thought about it for a minute, and she said three things. Number one, pancakes, my entire family, and bacon. And Abby is just like her mom because she doesn't just want good food. She wants good food with good people, right? I want pancakes. I want to make sure my whole family's there. And I want some bacon. So we started with the food. Then we took Abby to preschool. And Rachel wanted to make sure that Abby felt celebrated amongst her friends and to celebrate with her friends. And so she made this large vat of hot chocolate and took it to preschool with cups and whipped cream. And as she's walking this giant carafe up to the preschool filled with hot liquid sugar, I'm thinking to myself, is the school even going to be okay with this? But she walks it in, and apparently they were, and so Avia then celebrates with her friends. So she's had breakfast celebration, and then she's had school celebration. And then we picked her up from there, and we drove out to Langley, and we took her for her first ever real pony ride. And so she was freaking out at this whole birthday experience, and I posted about this pony ride on social media. Some of you have already seen it, but for those of you uh, who are off the grid, uh, I want to be able to show this to you this morning so you can see what Avia's uh, pony experience looked like. And I want you to notice two things. First of all, she's pretty sure this is the best birthday she's ever had. And secondly, she's fading really fast. Let's check this out. I've never had this much of a birthday. You know what you missed, actually, with the laughter, is she actually beatboxed after that last whispered, it's my birthday, she went, <laughs> and basically fell asleep on the horse. <coughs> so Avia knows she's having the best birthday of her life, and she has so much fun that she basically falls asleep on the horse. And what she's thinking to herself is, it can't get much better than this. But what Rachel and I know is that the best is still yet to come because she hasn't yet had the presents. She hasn't yet had dinner with her extended family. She hasn't yet had the ice cream cake we have from Rocky Point. What she thinks is that she's already had all there is, but what we know is that there's a whole lot more left to come. And it's this way in your relationship with God because some of you are here this morning and you think that you've already got all that you could get of God or you're thinking, I've got all that I would want of God or I've got enough of God 
And, and God is here this morning, and Paul is writing with a pen to basically scream to you, absolutely not. You have not experienced all of God there is. You want to know how I know this? Let's look at Paul's life. Paul has already seen the dead raised. He's already cast out demons. He's already been bit by a snake and had no uh, ill effects of this deadly snake biting him. He, he's, one night he was preaching, and he preached so long through the night that this guy who was sitting in a window, which was a bad decision, he should have known better, falls out of the window. He didn't deserve this, though, and died. And so Paul doesn't even freak out. Paul doesn't even pull him in and like, hey, guys, let's all lay hands on this guy. He just like walks downstairs and like, in Jesus' name, come on, get up. Like imagine that level of faith. If you're at that level of faith, please notify one of us after the service. We would like to start a ministry alongside your wonderful, like you don't even pray for the sick. You're just like, mm, let's go. Paul's already experienced all this, and yet in verse 13, what does he write? I press on. You have not yet experienced all that God has for you, and particularly in this area of joy. You have not yet started to enjoy God to the extent that he wants you to. How do, you know what? I am convinced both from this series and the entirety of Scripture that God has more joy and is about joy more than we allow ourselves to believe. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the roadblocks Paul talks about to joy here in this chapter. He's going to point out a couple things that are going to stand in the way of us reveling in God. You're like, revel in God, that sounds like some pretty crazy language. It's actually what the word hallelujah means. Halal means rave. Yah means God. Rave on God. So what's the roadblock? Roadblock number one, Paul talks about in verse two. He says this. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And if you're new to church and, you know, we're talking about circumcision and look out for dogs and evildoers. Really, here's what Paul's talking about. Watch these next few words. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And so really what Paul is talking about here is he's saying uh, we cannot have confidence in us if we're ever going to experience the level of joy that God's called us to. And he goes on and he says this in verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I've got more. And this is so amazing. This is like some LeBron James level trash talk. It's like you think you're living a righteous life, and he's going to go on, he's going to list a bunch of religious qualifications that Paul has that he's like, y'all don't have. Like, you think you're righteous? You think you're doing good? I smoke you in all of it. I've been there. I've done it. It's like, it's like Michael Jordan coming down the court, and he's just like, you think you can handle this? Like, you seriously think you've got, if anyone thinks that there's confidence in the flesh, listen, I've got more. You ever come into church, and you think to yourself, you know what, I had a pretty good week. I went to Three small groups, and I really didn't watch anything that I shouldn't watch on TV, and I had a pretty good guard on what came out of my lips, and I feel like I've had a pretty decent week. In fact, if you look at my church attendance, I haven't missed since, since New Year's, and so I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at with God, and Paul is uniquely qualified to pull us apart on this point. What he wants us to understand is that thinking our joy in God comes from religious do is never going to lead us into joy. He's uniquely qualified to pick us apart on this point because he's lived his whole life up until he met Jesus trying to find joy in how good he was doing before God. And he's like, listen, I already climbed that mountain and there was nothing at the top. He's going to go on and he says this. Uh, he says in verse 8, 
Whatever gain I had, so when I was feeling good, when I thought I was doing good, that's the gain he's speaking of. When I had that, listen, I counted that as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so when I thought I was doing good and I was feeling good about that, that's actually a roadblock that can stand in the way of the kind of joy that God actually has for you. He says this going on. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. Here's the visual image Paul wants us to have. I didn't bring this from home. We got two kids in diapers. That would be way, way too much. (laughs) But that is the visual imagery he wants us to be seeing. When we come before God and we lift up what is what we think are shiny, do-good lives before him, and we try to feel good in that, Paul is saying that is nothing but garbage compared to joy in what? Knowing, loving, and experiencing Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we don't pursue holiness and righteousness. And the writer of Hebrews says, without which no one will see the Lord. I'm not saying we don't do those things. I'm just saying don't think you're going to find any joy in it. Because if you hold up your life and you try and bring it before God and say, God, look what I've done. Your hands aren't actually open to receive from him what actually brings joy in this life, which is seeing, knowing, and experiencing what God has done for you. So Paul says, there's this roadblock in my faith, and it was a roadblock my whole life up until the point when I discovered what Jesus had done for me. It was me thinking that if I did good, I would feel good. And Paul's like, church, do not let that get in the way of joy. That is not real joy. In fact, that will be a roadblock to actually seeing what Jesus has done for you. He goes on and he talks about, there's a second roadblock. So the first roadblock is confidence in the flesh, confidence in me, feeling good because of me. Paul goes on and he says there's another roadblock, and this is interesting because it's almost the exact opposite thing. He says this in verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if the first roadblock that we needed to catch was that confidence in us can get in the way of our joy with God, the second one is looking back at our past and having shame about who we are. And that's standing in the way of us having joy in God. Isn't it interesting that the two roadblocks that are standing in our way of experiencing joy in God are almost the opposite of one another? Being overconfident in me or being stuck in my own shame. Paul says, I I gotta forget about my past. Oh, come on, catch this, church. Shame is such a powerful human emotion, and it will never lead to connectedness between you and other people or between you and God. Shame will get us to do some messed up stuff. Shame, shame will cause us to self-sabotage in relationship. This is what that means. Self-sabotage is, I'm going to get you to reject me today so that I don't have to fear you might reject me tomorrow. So I'm actually going to self-sabotage the relationship in advance for fear that you would reject me. 
Shame will also cause us to keep relationships at a distance. We're like, you know what? This is just who I am. This is how I'm comfortable in relationships. I don't really do relationships. I don't really do connection that much. I just want to keep things at arm's length. And the reason we do this so often in relationships is because of shame. And we do this because at some point in the future, if you were to reject me, now I'm able to say the only reason you're rejecting me is because you never really knew me. You can show up to church and not know anybody because you keep them at arm's length because of shame. Now, how does this work in our relationship with God? We can self-sabotage in our relationship with God and think, God, you're just like other people. And so if I was to really let you in and really trust you with my heart, really press into enjoying you, I might find out at some point in the future that it was less joyful than I thought. And so I want to protect my heart and insulate myself. And so I'm only going to go to this line right here in my faith. I'm just going to keep things nice and cozy, comfortable. I've had enough. I've got enough of who you are. I'm content with just forgiveness. I don't want to try and press into joy. What if it wasn't there? And we will self-sabotage and stop at step one when God's called you to 100. So Paul says, well, I got I to gotta forget what's behind. I, I got to get rid of this shame that's stuck to me. And so roadblock number one was I've got too much confidence in me. Roadblock number two is I'm just stuck in my own shame. And this is what that looks like. You show up to church and you're like, well, there's no way there could be joy for me. I don't mind coming in and I don't mind singing the slow songs about like God's mercy because I know I need his mercy. But don't you dare ask me to like smile in God's presence. Like don't, I, like I can come in and I can enjoy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just constantly enjoy step one in my faith, which is God saved me because I was a bad person. And we're never walking into, Paul says, the press into what's deeper. There's joy. Come on, spiritual maturity. He's saying there is a level of your spiritual maturity that looks like enjoying God. And shame will cause us to come into God's presence and say, well, that part's actually not for me. In fact, we will judge people who experience it and we'll say, look at them. They think church is just a game. They think God's just all about fun. And we're stuck in our own shame at step one in our faith, not realizing that that's actually spiritual maturity. So that one's a big one. So how do we deal with it? How do we get to the place of actually forgetting what's behind us and pressing on towards what's ahead? I want to I get practical this morning for just a couple minutes. How do we forget what's behind us? Because let's be honest, God is not talking about blocking things out of your mind. No, he's saying there's just a way to take away the pain of it. There's a way to get rid of the shame associated with it. There's a way to get rid of the regret. And so I want to talk about two steps to forgetting the past. Two steps to stepping on out of shame. And the first one is so counterintuitive that the Bible actually has to mention it several times for us to really believe it's from God. And it's this. The first step to forgetting your past is to talk to somebody else about it. The Bible has to say this to us repeatedly so that we will get this. I mean, First uh, John verse one, or chapter one, verse seven says, "If we walk in the light, with our life exposed to the light, as God is in the light, we have what fellowship with one another." There's a connectedness that comes from us walking in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. James also says something very similar to this. He says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. 
And so what, what, what John is saying here is, yes, Jesus alone forgives sin. There's forgiveness in nothing else but the blood of Jesus, not your good works or not any other step that you could take. No, it's just trust in what Jesus did for you. But notice there's another step to walking in freedom and getting rid of shame. And that's actually having fellowship with one another and connection with one another. Why is it that forgetting the past, having the pain and the shame associated with my past takes talking about it with someone else? Because shame cannot live in a grace-filled environment. Oh, you think hiding it out is what's going to make it feel better. Actually exposing it to a grace-filled environment is what takes away this thing. This is why I love baptisms. When we do baptisms, and we're going to have one coming up uh, soon. I don't know what the date is on the calendar, but we've got one coming up. And so if you need to be baptized before you leave today, grab the Connect card. Check off that you want to be baptized and let us know so we can help you take the steps on the way to baptism. So, and the steps are just, I'm going to do it because I've received salvation in Jesus. So you don't have to... It's like, it's not a long list. <laughs> when we do baptisms, we, we have a microphone there, and that kind of freaks people out. But here's why we do this, because we will hand someone the microphone and say, what's Jesus done in your life? And you know, it's amazing. We, ne we don't tell them what to say. You could say what you want to say. We kind of put ourselves at, that, at, at, the, at a risk that you might say something really strange, but we put a microphone there and say, what's God done in your life? Because so often people will say the craziest things they've done in the past. And we didn't even ask them to. They're just like, I used to live like this. And then I did this. And then I did that. And you're like, how are you even talking about this in front of a group of a hundred people? And they're like, it's like, I just, I'm, it doesn't sting anymore because I exposed it to a grace-filled environment. In fact, I'm, a, I'm about to get dunked and say that life is dead, and so I'm living in a grace-free environment. No one told me I had to say this. It's just I showed up, and I'm getting baptized, and so I'm just gonna talk, I'm just gonna talk about all the worst stuff I ever did, and we're all just like, yeah! <laughs> First step to getting free is actually exposing your shame to a grace-filled environment. This is why we do resonate groups. This is why this matters to us. Not because you need something to do on a Tuesday night. I, like, I get that you're busy. It's just that you're so stuck in shame and it's affecting every area of your life. And you need a group of people around you that is a grace-filled environment where you can actually talk about the stuff that's still stinging from your past. So let me ask you a question this morning, church. Who is there in your life that knows and loves and is willing to challenge you that you're talking to about the shame of your past that still stings. Number one, you need to take it and get alone with Jesus. We can't do, there's no point in seeking freedom apart from forgiveness. So number one, take it and get alone with Jesus and give it to him. Then get into a grace-filled environment where you expose shame to the light. Step one of forgetting the counterintuitive one. It's actually to talk about it. Then there's a second step. Paul goes on in verse number 13 and, and listen to this language he uses. He says, I'm going to strain forward toward lies ahead and I'm going to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul, Paul now all of a sudden is saying, hey, if I want to forget some things, I'm going to have to press on. The second step of, of forgetting is actually to take a step. The second step into that more joy. That more joy is not just going to come as we're sitting back quietly waiting for it to hit us. No, it's going to take a press. It's going to take a strain. It's going to take a step. 
it's not like a strain as in God wants you tired. It's a press and a strain as in you're going after God's treasure, knowing, loving, and discovering Jesus. That's the kind of press we're talking about. I have this um, nightly ritual that I'll do at the end of the night, and I, I, I often will just do this. Sometimes I write it down. Sometimes I just I think about it. I'll just ask myself, what were the moments that I experienced today that I want to relive before I go to bed? And this is so good. Parents, this will, like, this will save your life, parents, because usually when you do this, you end up thinking about something that happened with your kids that was really sweet and really wonderful. And you need to think back to those moments because by 9 p.m., you want to kill them. You want to sell them. And so you need to pause and think back and be like, no, there was a beautiful, good moment that happened. I do love, right? Pause and relive that moment. If you're a student, this is such a valuable practice for you to walk out in your student years because otherwise you just, everyone thinks that student years are just the years that I can't wait to get through until I get to what's better in my life. And when you pause at the end of every day in your student life and you think, what were the moments that I want to relive in the moments of meaning? You'll actually realize that there are moments of deep meaning and significance while you're pressing on to what you feel like will be the next season. It's a really good idea to stop every day and be like, what was meaningful today? And so what I've experienced in my own life, as I pause and I look back, I'm just like, well, I, I see, I can actually begin to discern better the moments that actually have meaning. And so I'll look back and I'll be like, oh, it was it's moments with my kids, and it's, it's moments pressing into relationship. And you know what I realize as I do this? I, I realize that the things that have the most meaning cost me the most. Like, to, in order to hear my kids, like, whale scream laughing, it meant that I had to put them on my back and run around the house. And I still feel young, but I don't always feel young. And that's a moment that took a little bit of a press for me. You know, and in relationships, to experience deep connectedness, it means that in the face of yesterday's pain, I've got to show up today and press in and take a risk in this relationship. And so when I pause and I look back on the moments of meaning, I'm so often recognizing that what took meaning and what had great joy actually took the greatest press and the greatest strain, and it took a risk. Paul's not saying God wants you exhausted. Paul is saying there is a treasure that's going to cost you something. You've actually got to take a step and press into the joy God's got for you. It's going to take deciding that good enough is not enough. And I want God's more. And so where do we land this morning as we look at these two roadblocks that stand in the way of real joy in God? Roadblock number one was, I'm just going to trust in myself. I'm going to hope for those weeks, and they might be rare for you, but I'm going to hope for those weeks where I walk into church and feel pretty good. And Paul's like, compared to knowing Jesus and seeing him and understanding what he's done, those moments are garbage. <laughs> There's real joy in who Jesus is for you today. Showing up empty-handed. Being like, God, I'm ready to receive from you. I, I lay aside my accomplishments. I lay aside my best. I am pressing on towards holiness and righteousness, and I want to live for you and live like you. And I want to hear your voice, and I want you to call out the areas of my life that really do need changing. But in this moment, when it comes to joy, I'm not trusting whether I think I got there or not. I got my hands open. I'm going to receive. 
There's also then the roadblock of past shame. And that's when you were, maybe you walked in today and you were looking at the floor and we had worship and you just, you just felt like, you know what? I'm just not really feeling it today. And God just says, yeah, there's a place of undeserving joy for you. If you can just forget about your yesterdays. Step into a grace-filled atmosphere that is full of joy. God, I pray that you would release a spirit of joy on your church. We're going to step into a growth season, God. I pray that we would ourselves be growing in joy and in faith in this place. I'm going to invite you to stand with me all over the room. We're going to press back into a time of worship together. I'm just going to ask you as we begin to press into this moment, would you posture your heart to say, Lord, I want more. I'm ready to receive more. I believe you have more.
the only way we can experience it is Jesus to see you. I mean, that's just the only way. Everything else would be forced and fictitious and made up for us. But if we can see you, Jesus, and so in this moment we fix our eyes on you, we want to love you and know you and experience you. Thank you for the wonder of your great love. And we press on because we believe that what we have seen is nothing compared to what you have. We, we press on. We press on. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so this idea that experience joy in his presence maybe is foreign. Before we leave this place, I want to give you an opportunity to, to join me in a closing prayer. A prayer you can pray right from your seat and you don't have to step out. No one has to know that you even prayed this prayer. This is a moment between you and God. But if you're in the room today and you'd say, Pastor Shane, I know that my sin is, is the thing standing between me and, and, and a relationship with God and today I just need to put my faith either for the first time or, or, or re-engage in a relationship with Jesus where he's first in my life and I know he's forgiven my sins. You need that. You need that salvation experience from God today. If that's you, you'd say, yeah, would you include me in that closing prayer today? I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and trust him for his forgiveness and his mercy. Would you just slip your hand up right now in the room and say, yeah, that's me. Would you include me, Pastor? That's me. I'm making that decision today. I'm making that my prayer today. I'm stepping into faith decision to follow Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, God. Whether you raised your hand or maybe you didn't, but today you want to join me in the prayer, just pray this with me. Lean into the joy that is 